says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. And joining me for what isn't quite the instant reaction podcast, but the morning after reaction podcast for round 12 is my good mate, 60s. Very busy evenings for both of us yesterday, but for different reasons, mate. I was there stressing my uh, my hair out and losing years of my life as Eels played another nail biter. Well, you had a very good time on Sunday evening. Yes, well, I, I won't say that I avoided that sort of stress. Because <laughs> you, you got it by uh, by uh, updates and uh, score checking. It's still pretty bad, isn't it? Well, I, I watched most of the first half, but then I was in transit to um, uh, an an evening at the Enmore that had been uh, had been postponed. So it wasn't supposed to clash with a football game, but it was um, the Arc gig, the Australian Rock Collective gig, presenting the Let It Be album. And uh, it kicked off reasonably early in the evening, so I was on in transit down to uh, the Enmore and listening on the radio. And in fact, it was Yoko said to me as we were driving down there, "It's probably not good for you to have this radio on. I'd like us to get there safely." <laughs> such was such was me losing the plot mm. with the uh, with the 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 call as it was coming through and yeah so i uh, got home watched the second half last night ready for the instant reaction this morning of course i did know the result when i was uh when i was down there it made the gig that we were watching just that much more enjoyable it always does there's nothing quite like a win to um perk up your weekend even if it's the end of the weekend so uh, the voice is a bit rough uh, it's not from. It's not just from yelling at the radio and the television. It's from having a bit of a sing along with the gig last night. So, uh, it, yeah, just excuse it if it's not the best today. Yeah, I, I too had a rather long night as well, but for sporting reasons, after the Eels won their game against the Raiders, backed up into the Monaco Grand Prix, which was meant to start at eleven p.m. but ended up being delayed to well past uh, the new morning, uh, which then led to me going to bed after two and waking up at six o'clock for a game of baseball that uh, my team narrowly lost, but it was a quality game. So lots of sport, but thankfully I had an outstanding bacon egg roll for breakfast, so I'm more pumped up for a, a big podcast as we break down what was actually a clean sweep of the Canberra Raiders out at GIO Stadium. You don't get that too often, but Eels and all three grades winning their respective games. Let's start, as always, with the NRL, mate. Parramatta Eels, 28, holding off the Canberra Raiders, 20. Uh, very, very good game. It feels like the Eels have played a lot of the best games of the season. This was another very high-quality contest for the Raiders. Sebastian Chris started the scoring in the eighth minute off that Bailey Simonson drop ball. Elliot Whitehead likewise scoring off a drop ball. Well, no, sorry, Elliot Whitehead didn't score a drop ball. Sebastian Chris that scored off a drop ball. But the Raiders going three tries in the first half. Jamal Fogarty, who came in for his Canberra Raiders debut, falls off the kicking tee, adding three try conversions and the single penalty goal. For the Eels, though, it was Will Penasini starting the scoring 11th minute. Dylan Brown bagging a double as the second and last try scorer. And in between that was a Bailey Simonson double outstanding in his return against his former employer. Mitchell Moses going four from five, missing. The one miss he got was probably his easiest kick of the day, just about. Uh, not too far from the adjacent to the post, but he just pulled it wide. But in terms of the team stats, as always, we run through them. Uh, Canberra Raiders. Well, if you didn't see the scoreline, you think the Canberra probably got ahead 
the um, possession in their favor, 52 to 48%. Time possession likewise, plus a minute and a half or just under. They completed an excellent 87%. The Parramatta is 75%, which is no, by, by no means a, a bad number. Just 87% is excellent. They had more runs, run meters and post-contact meters, but the Eels smashed them in the line breaks department, 7 to 2, uh, by and large due to a certain 5-8 that we're going to talk about a plenty. Tackle breaks favoring the Eels, 39-40. Average set distance just ahead for the Raiders by about plus 1.2 metres. Uh, both teams are very slow play the balls. I mean, last week we saw the Parramatta Eels have just about four seconds against Manly. They backed that up with 3.98 against the Raiders. But instead of having that 3.3 or 3.4 for opposition that we're used to, the Raiders are also up in the high threes at 3.88. Uh, both teams... Uh, didn't do a great job defusing the ball, especially the Raiders, even though the Eels were the ones that conceded two tries off kicks, which shows how costly their two uh, missed defusals were with their 70%, 73% defusal rate to Canberra's 50. Uh, Eels a tick under 87% effective tackle rate to Canberra's 85.5. Uh, Eels missing a combined 57 uh, missed and ineffective tackles to Canberra's 60. Uh, no, yes, yes, correct. Uh, that is the right number. I can count. Uh, Parramatta making 14 errors to Canberra's 8, conceding 5 penalties to Canberra's 1. Both teams going a ruck infringement at peace, while Canberra also infringed inside the 10 metres two times. Yeah, interesting. Um, according to Des Hazler, there's probably grounds for an investigation for that sort of penalty count, 60s. <laughs> I, there is one particular call oh, yeah. there, there that we will we, we talk, to talk about, about because yeah. it was outrageous. It, it, Absolutely it speaks to the fact that I'm not convinced the referees know the actual game they're officiating fully. But anyway, we'll talk about individual plays. Uh, first, a shout-out to a Canberra Raider who I thought had an outstanding game. I know that uh, it was uh, Jordan Rupp, and I forgot the two daily end points in this game, but I thought that, uh, was it Joseph Tapane, 20 runs, 234 metres, 108 of those were post-contact, three offloads. Uh, was it 30-something tackles, 60? Yeah, 31 tackles, zero missed, one ineffective. Hell of a game from a, a, a very good player there. For the Eels, though, um, Wanga Blake, very solid in his return. Geez, that was nice having Wanga Blake on the wing. And that's, that's no slide against Hayes Perham, but teams just weren't able to bully him uh, with line speed and, and, and contact and defense the way that Hayes got done a couple of times. Bailey Simonson... Uh, 17 runs, 164 metres, got a, a stack of tackle breaks go off at 11, uh, which just pips Dylan Brown's 10 tackle breaks, but he went 12 runs for nearly 200 metres, three line breaks, couple of important tries. Uh, in the forwards, Junior, very good, 16 runs, 153 metres. Sean Lane, Rodney Akore, Ice, Madison, and Nathan Brown all going well into triple figures, especially Madison, 17 runs, 180 metres. Ice, 17 runs, 153 metres. Uh, just really solid efforts from a lot of our core performers. And that's the sort of thing you expect when you go, you know, that sort of win 28 to 20 against a good opposition. You started off by mentioning Tarpany. And I think for good reason, because you, you just rattled off the Eels' stats. And the other thing, too, when I, in watching the game, I was trying to see was there a, a particular Eels forward that was standing out? Because. Dylan stood out for me. I, I was impressed with Mitch Moses' game. I was impressed with Bailey Simonson's performance and, and Wonga Blake. And I'm noticing all these blokes and I'm thinking, no, 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 it's, there's, there's got to be a forward that stands out as well. And I think the fact that Tarpany just showed out so strongly against an Eels pack that performed so well as a collective is another measure of the sort of game that Tarpany had. 
But just back to Dylan Brown, <clears throat> I'm not sure if I mentioned this to you, mate, after after training through the week, but uh, on the Wednesday session, there were two players that stood out during the opposed work. Those two players were Dylan Brown and Jake Arthur. And Jake stood out for the try assists that he put on for his team in the opposed. And um, excuse me, excuse me a sec. <coughs> I said the throat was a bit croaky That's today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> better out than him, mate. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mentioned um, uh, so Jake Arthur stood out for the try assists that he put on. Dylan Brown stood out for the line breaks that he made during that session. I'd never seen a player make as many line breaks as he made during training opposed work. It was just it was just phenomenal. And I did say to someone in the Eels camp, gee, Dylan turned it on. And the 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 simple reply was, Yeah, he was pretty good, eh? <laughs> and um I tell you and, what. And, it, in one respect, it, it wasn't a surprise, and and I'm sort of cursing myself in my tip for the score a try and win yeah. bet that I suggested because everything was screaming to me Dylan Brown, yeah. and then I then I have that that sense inside me which is don't jinx him, don't jinx him sixties, like don't don't mention publicly how well he'd been <laughs> training through the week that he was primed for a big one. To be fair, and we've almost beaten that out of you. We've conditioned you not to uh, make those sort of uh, broad statements. Even if, you've got, yeah, <laughs> even if you've got like, quality information, given your track record of uh, uh, sort of backing someone into a broken leg or a lame run. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yes, I, unfortunately, I feel responsible for... Gutho's season-ending injury in 2017. I feel responsible for. No, I'm not going to mention the other bloke, but yeah. he didn't. He didn't have a great season no. when he returned to us in 2018. But I back both of them to be uh, Dally M uh, winners in their respective seasons. And um, but you, you talk yeah. about Dylan Brown, mate. What I mean, and I, I hope this this isn't a, a literal thing because he wants. I want him to be an eel, but what a warrior! Not a New Zealand warrior, but an actual battle-hardened warrior. Busts his ankle up big time before halftime and compounds that with another uh, reoccurrence of that injury in the second half. Still makes a huge cover tackle off a line break, scores those two tries, makes three line breaks. Looks like the fastest guy on the field. Uh, just he, he left one of the biggest, hardest, meanest props in the dust when he scored the first try. Completely, you know, dusted him and, and knocked him over. This kid is only 21, and he is just beginning to tap into what he can be. Just an absolute superstar of the game, like, to be. Like, he's he's getting superstar status now, but he's not even anywhere near his peak. Uh, you know, he gave us one of the funniest post-game interviews I've seen. I don't know if you caught that on the replay 60s, but they had him on the Matty John show, and poor Dill was freezing. <laughs> he couldn't even get through his answers, and they let him off early. Uh, but uh, what a player. Well, mate, maybe he's come up with a new way if people don't want to be interviewed <laughs> is to look like they're suffering from frostbite. Well, it's funny because so. he comes from a place that is pretty chill. Uh, you know, I've toured New Zealand for Rugby Union and it's pretty pretty cool down there. But <laughs> maybe Dill's grown used to the, the comforts of life in Australia when it comes to the slightly more tropical weather. 
I think that's probably the case because uh, that was it was put out uh, last night uh, on the socials that uh, that particular interview with Dylan Brown and uh, NRL roast. Uh, I'll ro- our mate Roasty had it had it up <laughs> the there. Ch- my, the chili and man. my reply. My reply was pretty simple. I said, "Come on, mate, you come from the land of the long white cloud. That's you, you got to be used to some of the cold." So, um, yeah, it's although I suppose he does come from the the very north of the North Island. So True, which is we'll as, let him off there, and which he's been is as in as Australia as it gets. And he's been in Australia since he was fifteen. So, I think it's a fair call that he may have acclimatized to warmer weather. But yeah, Dill, obviously the standout. This was a game where, as good as some other players were, he almost earned six Dalian points. He was just the best on field, even with guys like Joseph Tappaner having great games numerically. And, and obviously the impact on the field was apparent too. But the, this was a game where the ball just went to Dylan and it was almost like you held your breath. Like, what's he going to do? And, you know, you, you talked about a player that you don't want to talk about anymore back from the 2018 season. It was a bit like him at his prime. Uh, yeah, you know, it was. And the thing is, it's it's something that we saw for many years as Dylan came through the Parramatta Junior Rep system, and I'm look, mind you, it's uh, fair to say that to an extent he shared the limelight with Joseph Taipari, who was uh, his foil in the halves coming through at Parramatta, and they would bounce off each other for who was the most dominant in any week, but. We still saw plenty of those moments from Dylan, but he's taken his game to a whole new level this year, without question. He's he's become the the man in the in the team who can maybe just spark something out of nothing. Uh, Mitch Moses obviously has that capacity. And, and Mitch, as well, Mitch but- had a good game still. I mean, the try assist he put on for the second Bowie Simonson try, where he gets hit off the ball in the middle of the play, bounces back up immediately to catch a junior player offload and get the ball at the Simonson, plus, you know, the kicking game in the second half. Just the, in the first half, I actually asked my brother, do you think Mitch is playing a bit banged up? Because he wasn't quite getting that driver used to on those kicks. But it was more a case of, if you go back and watch, I think our fifth tackle play the balls in very were quite slow, allowing Canberra to put pressure on Mitch and not plant that, that plant foot, like get it going forwards and drive through with his kicking foot. And in the second half, he started getting a bit of uh, clean air and space on those kicks. And, mate, just cranking at 60-plus metres downfield, falling a couple of metres outside the end goals every time. Yeah. It, look, it's it's one. it was one of those games where we had that, um, that toughness that the team is starting to become a bit more renowned for. Um, and... I mean, mind you, we, we've had a couple of games where we've complained that maybe we haven't brought the physicality that we should, but we were talking before we started recording about the number of matches where the opposition has genuinely lifted big time for the, the for their clash with and Parramatta. This was evident for Canberra. Uh, and, you know, you talk about that physicality and defensive intensity, restricting the Raiders just two points in the second half, care of an early and bizarre Penalty goal call uh, was, you know, speaks volumes to the attitude they they showed. And I, that second half reminded me a lot of the Penrith game, uh, a lot of early pressure and field position favoring the opposition in that Penrith game. We saw them just hemming the eels inside their own half, and it wasn't too dissimilar against the Raiders, who really turned it on. 
but they just absorbed the pressure and they just delivered knockout blows when they counterpunched. There wasn't jabs. They were haymakers that connected. And you know, you know, that's probably that that is probably an excellent comparison to to um, to look at that as as being com- comparable to the Penrith game and and also the fact that this was a game where they were up against it away from home. Yes, that I mean, that one, should not be lost. One of the toughest road trips in the game. Eels actually string together consecutive wins in Canberra for God knows how, since how long. So that's a, a notable milestone in and of itself. But yeah, Raiders team very much informed, getting back their marquee recruit from the offseason and Jamal Fogarty had every reason to be fired up for this game, came out playing like it, and the Eels just played good football. It was a very good contest. Not without its issues, though. And before we talk about the referees, uh, as well as the Parramatta Eels play, they still left some meat on the bones, too. I know that I saw regret his uh, mistimed or miscued pass just before halftime. Likewise, early in the contest, Reed Miney had a nice little dart from dummy half but uh, held up his pass to Reagan Campbell Guard too late, allowing Canberra to defend to get a hand to it. it might have been Jack White, and I'm not sure. Uh, thus the, denying the Eels early points. So there was a little bit of sloppy execution here and there, but, mate, you can't doubt the character of the team for their ability to just hold firm in, in the weight of you know lesser possession, lesser time of possession, the field position also against them. They just absorbed everything that Canberra threw at them. And honestly, you look at the tries that Canberra scored, two of them came off Parramatta errors. Uh, Bailey Simonson had a tough catch in a contested kick against uh, Jack Whiten, who was pretty good in the air for a 5-8. And then you had Guffer make an uncharacteristic drop that led to a gift six points for the Canberra Raiders. And you, you take those out of the fact and suddenly the Eels are dominant on the scoreboard. Well, I, I, I don't mean to, to uh, draw attention to it as well, but you don't see too many tries like Elliot Whitehead scored. Where the the three Parramatta players and the tackle well, just literally yeah, I, rolled that, off. That, that was uh, something I want to talk about in the refereeing too, where Rapana, who didn't get to his feet, just sprays the ball backwards, allowing the uh, rapid fast play of the ball for Whitehead to just dive over. But yeah, that that that's an issue in and of itself when it comes to the refereeing of this game. Which uh, yeah, um, and can I just mention Rapana as well because. <laughs> Does he just circle Eels oh, games? He, he, as he definitely gets. Lip- he grows another leg for Parramatta games. Absolutely, I don't know what it is about our defensive structures and and whatnot because we employ a fairly orthodox defense. Honestly, he just loves playing the Eels. He he always has a good game against us, if not a great game. Well, it, it, it's it's like there will be something significant that he's involved in every time the Eels play, and it, and it and it could be something where he just gets away with. Something like that, uh, the tackle on Micah last year with the um, bait essentially leading with a, the hip and the shoulder in that tackle and was allowed to uh, have that declared as a fair tackle. Uh, it, it's just, it just seems to go back over the years that he's a significant opponent whenever we play the Raiders. So I was. I was actually happy when he first went off to Japanese rugby <laughs> because I thought, Get out of well, here. there's one That's, that's the end of you, exactly. Player, yeah. One, one of our... player, one take of a year that we don't have to deal with. So Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we talked about it in other podcasts in the past. There's guys like Danny Levi, who is a, also ran down half in the context in the NRL, but will always have career games against the Parramatta Reels. And Jordan Rappin, obviously a much higher class of player in a given game than Danny, but he also had career games against the Eels. It felt like every time we played him, and we actually did a very good job of bottling him up at the end when he shifted the fullback for Xavier Savage, who went off 
after he got absolutely murdered by Bowie Simonson. Bowie has got to be one of the most devastating jam defenders in the NRL, by the way. When he comes in, he doesn't miss. <laughs> he does not miss. He uh, lit up, was it Townsend or Dearden against the Cowboys? Uh, he absolutely flattened him off a scrum play too. So and just so just quickly before we get into the referees, I just want your thoughts on Bailey Simonson because I said that during the preseason he came to hand fairly quickly, literally from the first session that he impressed with his uh, condition that he arrived in at the Eels. He was one of the fittest and fastest that was out there. And then he started to really shine in the opposed sessions. He was powerful in his carries. He was scoring tries at training, like uh, the like of which he scored yesterday with the big dive into the corner. And it seemed like he, once we got into the games, that it's taken him a bit of a while to get into the groove in the Parramatta lineup out there on the field. But I think right now uh, he's he's showing his value as a recruit for the Eels. I'll tell you what, mate. If there's two areas that the Eels really nail their recruitment in, it's their diamond-in-the-rough guys, your Maradonia Kores, your Isaiah Papali'is, you know, going back, Andrew Davey, Matt Makatoa, those guys that, you know, other teams haven't valued properly and just let them walk. And the other place that we tend to do very well in is contractor guys. If we go out and find a guy that is a bit unhappy at his club and wants to look at a different side of life at another club, uh, seriously, have we missed? Michael Jennings was amazing for us. Wunga Blake, uh, ba- obviously bailing this game here. Uh, you've got uh, Ryan Madison, Reagan Campbell-Gillard, all in the current 17 right now. It, if, we find, if, we, if we identify a bloke that we think can be a fit for us that isn't happy his current club, they seem to just come good for us in a big way. And I know that fans were down on Bailey after the first couple of games, but it's eerily similar. We mentioned this to Quentin Gufferson starting the wing where just you, you, coming to a new club, the speed's just a little bit different. Even if you have a good preseason, you had a couple of tough opponents early on as well. That just it didn't click in the first couple of games, and since then he's just going gear to gear, level to level. And you know what? A, what a time to pick against your old employers, scoring the double, being almost untouchable at times running the ball. He just got some great footwork before the line, and yeah, he is just he is coming on big time. And the Eels have got a bit of a selection controversy facing themselves after the bye. You've got Mike Acevo and Sean Russell back. Obviously, Wang had a solid game in the wing. Tom Opacic has been good in the centres. Do you put Wang into the centres and bring one of the other wingers back? But the, the player you're not talking about anywhere near that controversy is Bally Simonson. That right wing is under lock and key. And the interesting thing when we're discussing all of this is that the first choice at the start of the season was Hayes Dunster. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Hayes, very good last year and building it looked like he was building fantastically into the season this year uh, before that you know, awful incident in the preseason that ruled him out for the entire year. But yeah, Bailey just really, really... I'm now curious to see where his ceiling is because he's got a bit of a... Like if Gufferson, God forbid, goes down to injury, I, I think Bailey might be the de facto fullback now. He's just got a bit to his game where I'm, I'm curious what he would do in, a, in an expanded role like you get at fullback. Yeah, I, I am of the belief that he has that capacity to either play centre or fullback, fullback especially, so that maybe you're starting to draw a few more uh, path parallels to Gutherson in that mm. 
Gutho got better the closer he moved to the ball and involvement in the game. Uh, maybe maybe he doesn't have the same sort of ceiling that Gutho did because Gutho turned out to be extraordinary in that first season with moving from the wing into 5-8 yeah. during the season. Yeah, no, which was obviously earned some serious stripes in his time at the Parramatta Eels. This isn't a call to replace by any means, but there, no, no, there, there no, might be, but there might it, be ways it is, for it is. worked plays, though. You know, when you, yeah. you have a winger double up as that second fullback on the left, if he comes off his right wing, yeah, he just he makes stuff happen. Bow, he's got the footwork, he's got that turn of pace, and he's just very strong for contact. He always goes forwards. If you watch his tackles or runs, sorry, um, even against uh, set defenders during those tough carries when he's running into the teeth of that kick chase set defense, he he falls forwards. It's interesting that the things would come almost full circle where. BA's selection dramas were about trying to find a winger <laughs> and a centre. That is and, footy in a nutshell, and, isn't it? You, you, you scramble for half a season trying to fill the gap and suddenly you are, you can't hold all the wingers and centres you've got. That's it. So, yeah, he does have he does have that conundrum because we've very much appreciated having that bigger body of Wonga Blake out there on the wing yesterday. But it's hard to fault the form of Tom Wapachik at no, the moment. He, he did a very good job defensively in this game. Uh, and he, you mentioned him almost timely because he was the player at the heart of a probably the most controversial moment in this game. And, you know, you don't want to single out referees and put them on blast, which we've we've questioned the odd call here and there this year. But, mate, you know, between Todd Smith and Matt Noyan, I want to say, the senior uh, senior review official, and even the touchies too in this, in this case, I, I just... I don't see, and if those that aren't aware what we're talking about, it was when the Eels were playing down their left side and the ball gets tipped up by a Canberra defender. Was it Whiten? No. No, it wasn't it was Rapinoe. It was Rapinoe. It was Rapinoe. Rapinoe tips it up and is losing, has lost control of it. And Tom Opacic goes to wrap him up, thinking that he's, he's possessed the ball, and he stops him from regathering the ball, which falls about three or four metres forwards. And the Eels scoop it up and make a line break. And then players penalise and come back. It was immediately challenged, and the bunker and the main official somehow deemed that you have to allow a player that has knocked the ball up and a chance to repossess it and not knock on. Yeah, which is I, contrary to everything that I have. It, watching it live, my first thought was the touchies called the ref because the um, the ref was allowing the play to go on and was following Dylan downfield, and then looked to his sideline and then blew the whistle to bring it back. And then, of course, there was the challenge, and it had to be challenged because... I, I had no you, issues you, with Gufferson and Moses I, challenging that at all. I, I, I'm I'm still stunned that match a match official looking at a replay... Like, you can... Maybe, maybe you can find an excuse when it happens live. But even then, I was stunned when it was called that way live. But when it went to the review, I thought, well, okay, this is a no-brainer. This is the easiest easiest one review that we're going to face this year. And I was just stunned because if you, in any intercept situation, if you've got a player that taps the ball up to themselves, whether it's, uh, well, well, whether it's an intercept, whether it's they're chasing a kick, 
and they tap the ball forward and try, or they're or they're juggling the ball, whatever the case may be. Because tapping it forward, juggling it, it's all the same thing. You haven't got the the ball has come into your possession. You're not quite in control of it. But once you've touched it, you 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 are the player that is in possession because the ball correct. has to be in last possession at some point. You are the player that last possessed the ball. It's correct. So what they've basically said in this is that they've said it's a knock-on situation where the bloke is chasing a knocked-on ball and attempting to negate his attempting to negate a knock-on. They haven't called it an intercept situation. So that that's where I think they're going to try and have some sort of technicality. But the fact remains, it was a full-on intercept. If if Tom Opachik hadn't tackled him, he's off for that ball and running off downfield for a try. And we talk about the bunker, and it's been a very topical issue for talk shows like 360 and whatnot, and about should it be torn down, re- like revamped, or you know removed completely. It was brought in with a mission statement to give greater consistency to games. That was literally what the NRL said. We're going to have the same officials in it across the round. They're going to make the same calls on different, like on the similar but different situations to ensure that teams aren't getting one call in one game that is the opposite in another game. Last week, we had there was plenty of drama in the Brisbane versus Newcastle game regarding the obstruction or Shepherd rule running behind your player taking advantage. They absolutely blew that one, allowing the Broncos to score. A, a, one instance in that game which didn't cause any drama because it was ruled correctly was Tyson Frizzell chasing through a kick in the first half. It goes into the end goals. He's the first player to touch it but tips it up to himself in the process of trying to gather it in and score. I think it was Tamari Martin, the fullback for the Broncos, comes across and absolutely levels him in a clean tackle. But the ball was tipped out of his control before Tamari Martin tackles him. It goes to review and the, the bunker makes the correct call. He, he's played at the ball which now construes him being the, the possessor of the ball if he hasn't got control of it. Tamari Martin makes a legal tackle. It is play on, knock on, six, uh, seven tackle set at the 20 metre mark. And yet here we are a week later and the bunker have exact same situation except it's not in the end goals, which doesn't change the context of the scenario at all. And the Eels are the ones that not only get penalised, lose a captain's challenge crucially. It, for a team that has been one of the best challenging teams in the competition, by the way, it just... Yeah, very, very frustrating. And there were some, you know, bits and pieces across the game that you sort of, you take your lumps for. I think Reid Money uh, was a bit unlucky getting the ball knocked out of his hands. The first time might have been pure hands and the marker was either onside or offside, depending on your colour of jersey. But the second time, I thought the hand clearly touched the ball and the touchy was right there. And, you know, like I said, you take those ones because that comes out in the wash. There's, you know, forward passes that'll go your way and vice versa and all those little things. But... Something like that, 60s, where the bunkers brought in a player via captain's challenge and there is every opportunity to get it right based on a precedent that was literally re- like invoked last week and they get it wrong. Yeah. yeah. I, I said last week that the problem is not the bunker. The problem is the people in the bunker. Yeah, the bunker as a concept is... is I know people talk... I mentioned on Free they talk about revamping and getting rid of it. The bunker, by and large, as a concept is rock solid like it, it centralizing that sort of thing makes a lot of sense uh having the consistent crew access to the full panel of technology good but they're just the, the people manning the, and you know it talks it's a whole man versus machine thing but the people manning the machines are just getting it wrong too often well if they come out today if it's if it's under review that particular decision if annesley is asked about it and supports 
the decision that was made by the bunker, then he is flat out wrong because the decision that was made was wrong. It was just wrong because the player was technically in possession of the ball. If taken to its to its logical conclusion in every single circumstance, if you have a player who is juggling the ball or tapping the ball forward in any circumstance, be it an intercept, be it chasing a kick, be it a pass that's come to them, and that and it's gone up in the air as they're trying to control it. Yeah, the moment it's not, they are they are fair, they are fair game. They are in possession of the ball, and if you cannot tackle them, imagine like draw this to its conclusion. If a player starts juggling the ball and you have to hold off them, yeah, whilst they're juggling the ball, they could theoretically, deliberately juggle the ball down the down the field. Like imagine a scenario where a player is just yeah, as, the as, ball as long as they don't because the there, there is a provision in the rulebook for tapping a, a ball over a defender. So as long as you don't tap it over the defender, they can't touch you. They have to try and play at the ball. So if you get someone like Sean Lane who is taller than pretty much everyone on the field, just get him. To, you know, just put his hands up and just keep tapping it around there. They can't touch you. It's just that's it. I mean, that's the that is, and I, and I mean, it's a ridiculous concept to suggest a player could go down the field juggling the ball and you can't tackle him. But that is literally, because it is so ridiculous to say that, but that is literally why the rule exists, that if a player is is trying to get control of the ball once it's come into their possession and it's tapped up in the air or it's gone from their hands up in the air, whatever the case may be, that they are now in possession of the ball. It's completely different to a knock-on situation where the ball's been knocked on they are not going to be allowed to get the ball back and continue play. Let's let's be very clear about this in a knock-on situation. This is why it's different. If a player's knocked the ball on, it's dribbling along the ground, and a player comes across and tackles them as they're chasing the ball, that is an illegal tackle because in that circumstance, they are, are trying to negate, uh, they are trying to complete the knock-on and not allow the opposition to get the possession of the ball and, and, and run off with the ball downfield. There is no advantage for them where they can get the ball back and continue in their run, right? So it, that's completely different to a juggle ball scenario where they are actually in possession and the ball is live in their possession. Trying to negate a knock-on is not the same situation. So if they come out and they say they were, he was trying to negate a knock-on, there was no knock-on going to happen if he was given free reign yesterday. He, that ball was up in the air. He was easily going to get to the ball and be able to continue on a run downfield. If he was, if Tom Opechik had to hold off and wait till he gathered the ball, it would have been ridiculous, and he would have got in trouble from BA. Yeah, to have allowed. Yeah, exactly. Why aren't you playing? Yeah, yeah, it's. Like I'm furious. I'm furious that they can be so wrong. And there was these second, are the match officials paid to make a decision based on knowledge and, of the and it rules. Wasn't, like you said, and it, it wasn't just, just the, wrong. the live whistle where it's going fast. Okay, they made the mistake. Literally went to review on a captain's challenge, and they still they doubled down. So and you had Gutho. You had that scenario with Gutho then saying to the referee, "It's wrong." Yeah. That. That decision is wrong. Yeah. It, like he, he's he's in possession of the ball. Like I ca- I just cannot fathom how and and I don't know. I mean I haven't been. I I was out last night. I I, I haven't seen whether there's been too much in the there's way been of no reaction because because state of origin teams were announced last night 
featuring a few eels as well, which we can talk about quickly before we'll save most of it for the preview podcast. But because of State of Origin talk, it led to a complete ignoring of that incident. And another incident that I want to quickly talk about, and it's in, in the context of being a bad call, it's an absolute blip compared to the you know the crater of this one. But it, it's something that eels always get done for is when we contest the ball, if we go up and make no attempt to tackle, just try and contest the ball, but the opposition fullback gets bumped around and catch like in the process of catching the ball, we always get penalised. It doesn't make it, it is never called fair play. Both players contesting the ball, play on. Garfison in the second half got absolutely hammered by a guy that was barely playing at the ball. Garfison was like the the only one contesting for the ball. Like he went up, to, the other guy went up to catch it, but was never in, in a chance to catch it. And he lost the ball, and thankfully Corey Horsburgh lost his head and kicked it across field, allowing Junior Paulo to catch it and, and negating the advantage. But yeah, that that's one of the areas where it feels like we never get the call, and the, we we always get hammered on the contested catches on the other side of the field. And when our players go up and get bumped around in a contested catch, we never get a call. And it's I know it's small compared to blatantly missing a captain's challenge, but it really peeves me. Well, it's it's literally the the flip side of what happened against Manly with Bailey uh, with uh, Hayes Perham when he was penalised and he was clearly contesting the ball, clearly contesting the ball. Yeah. He climbed over the yep. top of the Manly blocker in an attempt to get to the ball, and in going up. He's collected the blocker and then looked down at the contact that he'd made because he, he could be coming down in an awkward situation, whatever the scenario is, but he's bumped someone. So his eyes have gone from the ball because he's he's not going to get to the ball. He's now heading in the opposite direction. As, as we saw, he got bumped and he ended up flying off to the side after the bump. But he's then been penalised as, as uh, interfering with, uh, the player there and causing the the dropped ball. Now, I I didn't I I disagreed strongly with the call last week. I you know you could see his eyes looking for the ball. It's no different to if that blocker was actually the the only person that was there and was the one who was maybe going to be responsible for catching the ball, like Hayes Perham was himself against mm-hmm. the Roosters where you had Sawali, who was able to climb over the top of him, literally sit on top of him to catch the ball and then score. Now, Hayes Perham wasn't able to get up and, and sit on top of the player to to catch the ball above the fullback, but it was it was literally the same scenario, except he was dealing with a blocker of all things. And somehow the blocker is is the one that's been um, yeah, judged to have been... Mess at the moment. Um, had the indiscretion against him. I just, you know, I was dumbfounded by by that call. I could maybe, I could maybe give that a twenty eighty ratio of of, of <laughs> acceptability. Like twenty percent of me goes, well, I suppose, you know, sometimes it might go one way. Uh, most of the time, it should go the other. Um, so I don't count it as as like the straight out wrong that that call was yesterday with um, uh, with the the intercept the op- the uh, uh, incident yeah yeah on Rapana where it, that's just hundred percent wrong and it doesn't matter what the NR it, it wouldn't matter what said yeah that could come out not in completely position I'm not agreeing yeah that that was wrong call wrong process everything was wrong there and it's embryonic of widespread issues now across the entire season not just for the Parramatta Eels all sixteen clubs are facing similar issues. 
Um, anything you want to say before we start wrapping up the NRL review, mate? Look, I, I think you summed it up quite well when you when you drew a line of comparison between that game against the Raiders and the game against the Panthers. Prior to the game, we spoke about how this was really a four-point game because mm-hmm. to get the two points from that going into the bye, it, it was critical. It, yeah, with the Roosters it and Broncos the also, also to keep up that wins. momentum. Yeah, it was important to stay in touch with that top five or six now. Uh, unfortunately, because of the Broncos having that big, big comeback win with the, the Titans completely imploding, the Eels narrowly miss out on a spot into the top four going into the bye. Seven points adrift on for and against from the Brisbane Broncos. 63 for Brisbane, 56 for the Eels. But they do have an equal share of third place right now in terms of uh, competition points. So looking good going into the bye, mate. Uh, we, we saw a couple of wingers having reasonable games in the cup. We'll talk about that shortly. I don't think there's any main injury concerns out of that game. Obviously, Dill's ankle had our heart and mouths, but he was fine in the post-game press conference outside of the biting cold in Canberra. So, looking very good. Brings and his- just just to just to interrupt there, that buy probably comes then at a good time for Niggles yeah, because well, it's, it's without because- doubt there's going to be. We saw what. State Dylan was in during yeah. the game. Yeah, he was absolutely pushing through the pain barrier there, and it speaks to how tough he is that he not only pushed through it, but was best on field, which we'll, we'll do our vote shortly. But yeah, we've had it the last few seasons. We've been the late buy when it comes to state of origin, usually around set, around seventeen, I think it is around eighteen. Uh, yeah, we've we've really limped into that buy, carrying a lot of not just niggles but really banged up troops. So getting the early buy this year is going to be very. Uh, almost exciting to see how it changed the complexion of our run in the second half of the season. We haven't had the chance to, you know, hit the showers, get refreshed and come back into that second half as the healthy team. We've, we've, well, know, the boys, the boys are going to, they'll get a break. So they'll get a break this well, week. It's a huge turnaround to the East, the Easter Monday, the Queen's birthday Monday. What is it? The platinum Jubilee celebrations for this one. Uh, so they've got a big break there. And so like you said, they'll get what a week off pretty comfortably. Yeah, they'll, so they'll 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 get themselves a bit of a break. It'll allow them to recharge. As we've talked before about the demands of the first half of the season, especially with travel. So yep. they've had travel. They've had All some over. short turnarounds. It's been it's been demanding that we know the disruptions because of injuries that have occurred. So it's it's almost like here's your break before we take the downhill run back half of the season. And as you said, I, I don't think you could have something as perfectly timed as what the buy is this year. So uh, good time for them to reset. And uh, we've now got the majority of the games. The greater, I think there's only something like uh, one or two games outside of Sydney in the back I, half I of the season. A lot of – there's eight – Eight home games. Oh, wait, you're right. We we uh, leave Sydney. We leave Sydney once. We go to Suncorp. Yep. So it's yep. yeah, it's it's a core Combank, Leichhardt, Four Pines, and Suncorp are the stadiums we go to in the second half of the season. So lots of Combank, a bit of a core, and then the two uh, Leichhardt and Four Pines and uh, sorry, three Leichhardt, Four Pines, and Suncorp. Yeah, yeah. So it's the only thing uh, is it's a little I'll, bit. The only thing I will say is a little bit tricky. We get the Queen's birthday Monday game backed up into a five day turnaround against the Roosters. So 
congrats to the NRL scheduling. Couldn't give us the Sunday game following a, a Monday public holiday game. Another brilliant piece of NRL scheduling at action right there. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, interesting to note that the Tigers have uh, decided to have their return match against us at Leichhardt <laughs> rather than at, at Combank Stadium. Now, and, and it's not like... You know, they did beat us there when it was uh, no, that, their home the game. Thing, so, so. Uh, just very disappointing because I, I and I keep saying this: Leichhardt Oval is not the eighth wonder of the world. The only wonder with that is that it's still allowed to be used yeah, it's it's as a as an NRL venue. Exactly, it is. It is. It is it, it, look, I used to enjoy going there when I was younger and watching uh, Parramatta play Balmain. Uh, I don't mind going there for junior reps finals. Uh, it's a but it's a pain in the backside getting out finals, of the place. It's, yeah, for even, junior rep finals, even with a, a, a fifteen hundred or two thousand exactly. crowd, Park, parking and getting out is still a nightmare. It, it just yeah, let alone if you have to go use the troughs. It's uh, ugly. Oh, it is. Look, it is just not um, right that major NRL games would still be staged there with the current facilities that are on offer. They, It's wrong that they would charge the prices that they do for matches there. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, if you're a West Ti- West supporter or, I mean, you're a Balmain supporter on the West Tigers side or you're a true amalgamation fan, that's your home ground. You value it. If you grew up going to Leichhardt Oval as a Balmain supporter, you probably absolutely love the ground. And maybe you're hearing the things that you want to hear that opposition supporters really don't like the ground. I, As I said, I just refuse to acknowledge that it's that it's a, this wonderful venue that, that people fall in love with. It's, it's as I said, if you, if you took out... If you just left the view that you have there from a lot of places in the ground, yeah, you're nice and close to the action. But anything, everything else that you pay for, man, it fails to deliver classic, in every respect. Classic tip sheet podcast, by the way. We turn a review of the Canberra Raiders win into a shit on Leichhardt Oval uh, <laughs> segment. So, <laughs> well, we that didn't come in, did it? In the comparison that we did with the uh, what's worse, <laughs> we put it between we put it between Brookvale and Penrith Park. Yeah, we we gave like we gave like a miss there, so I had to catch some strays in this podcast. Let's get back to the game twenty eight twenty Parramatta Eels final. The three two ones, the three two ones. Are yeah, we ready three, for that? Three two ones. Yep. So I think uh, do we even need to say who's got the three points in this game, mate? Oh, hotly contested. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> it's. It's daylight second, even in a strong team performance like the Eels dish it up. But that that was Dylan Brown's game. Yeah, Dylan Brown, so so good. Just twenty one years of age, just tapping into what he can be. Uh, I know there's a lot of talk around the Parramatta Eels fixing up their back row for next year and, and the importance of re-signing Madison. But even with another year to run his contract and being eligible to negotiate for other teams in November, perhaps the biggest signing story for the Eels is Dylan Brown. I getting him locked up long-term now might be the single biggest thing that the club needs to do, even with the back row issue, which is a legitimate issue. This kid is too good. Yeah, we know that there were teams that were interested in Dylan Brown when he was coming through the juniors. Before he even debuted in first grade, there were the stories about the million-dollar offer that the, the Warriors. Warriors were prepared mm-hmm. to pay him. It's He's never been phased by chasing 
by by rumours about money, by being chased by clubs. He's he's been the sort of player that his attitude has been that uh, he, he he's been Param- a Parramatta player from the day mm-hmm. dot in terms of in terms of his NRL pathway. However, and here comes the however. Every player has that opportunity to get, uh, and it might only happen once or twice in their career, to get the big contract. Yeah. And it's hard to deny people from the big contract and, and accepting it. We've, um, I mean, we literally have seen that with the players that Parramatta have lost. They were offered the sort of money that Parramatta logically uh, would have struggled to compete with. How strongly the Eels competed on every one of those contracts, we don't really know because negotiations are kept quiet. But the moment that one of those had been matched, there would have been another consequence. So um, I don't blame the players for taking those opportunities that come their way. How strongly will the Eels compete for against offers that are put Dylan Brown's way? And we have to expect that there's going to be offers that are going to be up around that million dollar mark. And I don't, and my fear is that Parramatta don't believe in paying that sort of money for one player. That's, it's the sort of call that makes or breaks a franchise, isn't it? So it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out, but that is a story for another day. Dylan consensus three point player best on field by the length of uh, the Flemington straight in November. Two points. I've got a candidate I think was outstanding. Who caught your eye? Well, I probably hinted that before when I said Mitch Moses because I I felt that we had the pack playing as a collective and then some individual performances that were just too, too tough to ignore in the back line. And for mine, both of our halves had outstanding games, different types of games, but outstanding games. So I'm going for Mitch Moses for my two. Yeah, Mitch, very, very good. I talked up his kicking game. Didn't quite run the ball as much as I would have liked, but then again, you had a couple other guys absolutely ripping in, so it makes sense to take a more backseat approach when it comes to that aspect of the game. My two points went to a player where so many Parramatta fans are conditioned to expect the big revenge game against our club. You know, the form of Parramatta Junior or Parramatta Prospect coming back from another team, hammering us for a try or two. Bally Simonson did the reverse to the Canberra Raiders in this game. I know he, he you know, quote-unquote, let in the first try during that contested catch against Jack Whiten, but he was phenomenal. Big metres, tough runs, quality finishing, and, yeah, 11 tackle busts is just outstanding in any game, but he was really causing some issues for the Raiders' defence. And, yeah, just... He was pumped up too. That second try he scored, he, he got up in front of the Parramatta away section and plenty of Canberra fans and let both of them know exactly what he felt, which was always good to see. So that's why he gets my two points. Well, see, this is, again, I've preempted what my decision is going to be because he gets my one yeah. point. And so now we, we've whipped out two lines then. Yeah, that, that was a really tough call because... I look at the contributions of uh, 
a lot of the Eels forwards, and and that even includes Ryan Madison yep. with Junior his Madison. phenomenal numbers off the bench, just you know, just stood out. But our, our props, um, but I, I just, I just felt that it was harder to separate some of the forwards than it was for that contribution that Bailey Simonson yeah. made. And if you look at I thought that what he did added to the difference between the teams. Mm-hmm. And that's how I come down to him getting the, the one point. So the contributions of those three players that I've named, Dylan Brown, Mitch Moses, Bailey Simonson, I can look at the things that they did during the game and say that was the difference between us winning and losing, that particular contribution. It went towards us winning or losing. So Mitch that's that's my, my point. that's my basis yeah. there. Mitch gets my one point. Excellent off the kicking tee. Very good field general, as always. That kicking game in the second half, it, it, it is. And it's part of the reason why I think the Eels match up so well against teams like the Storm and especially the Panthers, because they love going for the stranglehold and putting teams into the that death roll where they just lock them down in their own half and you know win the game on the way to that possession and, and territory. And Mitch Moses is like the nullifying factor to that. We get out to our 30, 40-meter mark and he just drives the ball downfield and gives our kick chase a chance to make contact 20 meters, 30 meters out from the opposing line regardless of where we finish the set. So fantastic player, having a, another career year. Sort of lost in the origin talk because Jerome Luai is the club connection with Nathan Cleary, but I wouldn't have been upset to see a Cleary Moses connection in state of origin, honestly. Yeah, Alrighty. yeah, no, that's. I think that's. Uh, it's one of those times where there's certain players who, in their career, are unlucky to miss out on bad, bad windows yeah, exactly because, Dave. because of circumstances around other players and. Uh, I think he's Mitch Moses is by the time he's finished playing, he's he'll be regarded quite highly within Eels ranks as uh, as a player. Well, he could he could retire now and is probably goes down as our second greatest halfback ever if he didn't oh, play uh, another game. Absolutely, absolutely. Look, I I think he probably already is the second best halfback that the Eels have ever fielded um and i look i truly believe that we can win a premiership with mitch moses there however he'll be regarded by the rest of the nrl as probably a very solid player um by the time he's finished i mean now he's regarded he's barely coming out of that phase where um play where critics will call him a, a flat track bully yeah. now he fought a he, long time he's to... barely he's you know despite what he's proving week in week out there are still those out there who will throw that line out there about mitch moses and i think the last couple of seasons he's well and truly dispelled that but you know i think by the time he's finished playing the nrl world will Think of him as a as a very capable halfback, but not much more. Whereas at Parramatta, will be uh, regarding him as only, you know just behind Sturlo. Yes, sir, and uh, he's obviously going to be a big part of our push into the finals and any potential success we have there. So a chance for him to write his own story this year. But there are two other games. Quickly, we're going to recap before we sign off, mate. As I mentioned earlier in this podcast, Eels sweeping their opposition on a tough road trip to Gio Stadium. It started. Uh, just past half uh, midday, sorry, I was going to say just past half past, which is not what it was, half past a day maybe. 
the Jersey flag, they've had a tough season, mate. We've spoken about it a lot. Injury, suspensions, promotions to the New South Wales Cup as they drew upon uh, the talent pool because NRL was draining them. Uh, Wolford's men have been in the wars. And for the first time this season, they were somewhat healthy, I suppose. They they still lost their captain, Corey Fenning, but they had a couple of late ins that helped too. Arthur Miller-Steven came onto the starting lineup at wing. He's been out for a while. Good to see him back. They went on the road to play the Canberra Raiders, a team slightly ahead of him on the ladder, and they put on a clinic. You know, to nil scores, to the shutout scores and the flag are very rare. They went 40-0 and 0 in this game and just played a fantastic game of football. Crucian Attili Schmidt, he made his return from a, a fairly long-term layoff from injury this year, this year with a, a game against Manly where he came off the bench. He started this game and played, uh, well, at least for the Parramatta Eels, part of his career, a career-best game. Uh, Dontori Louie was dynamite at fullback. Ethan Sanders clinical at halfback. The forward pack got him rolling forwards. Matthew Komalafi has brought his cup form down to the flag. There, there are so many players you could point out and talk about in this game. It was a very fun game to watch on the New South, New South Wales Rugby League TV live stream. Yeah, and it actually, one month ago, one month ago, the Raiders absolutely Pansom. cleaned up yeah, the Eels up at Kellyville. It's it's astounding to think that it was the same team that ran that in round eight um, got beaten by thirty to six. So we, I was expecting the sort of scoreline that we had yesterday. I was thinking that they were going to get that back in round eight because the Raiders had just come off being thumped by the Panthers, and the Raiders that I watched that day were far and away uh, superior to the Eels. It was probably the Eels' worst performance of the season that week, mm-hmm. without without question. It was it was, and and I'm sure the coaching staff don't mind me saying this. It, it was awful. It was an awful, yeah. awful you know, performance. Hundred percent. They completely uh, flipped the polarities on those efforts and results in this round. Uh, we already mentioned the scoreline, but it started with a Matthew Komalafi try. He got to show off some wheels in the 22nd minute, mate. How good was it to see him stretch out? And he had Cruz yeah. until he Schmidt score, Peter Tateo, Jaden Skinner, Ryan Jones, even Sanders bagging a double at the end. Sanders going five from six in his attempts. Dantore Louis adding the lone one from one at conversion in the 66th minute. Yeah, just a what a team performance. The, and as good as they were attacking, I'm sure Wolford will say the defensive effort is what you should be proud of in this game. Yeah, it's that's more what I'd been thinking that um, the Eels would be capable of producing against some of the lesser teams in the Jersey flag. I said at the start of the year after watching the trials and the, and the early season games that they were going to perform better, far better than um, the flag were able to perform last year before it was all shut down. And... You know, and it was mainly because of that willingness to compete. And I'd been disappointed in the last couple of weeks that, um, and and really highlighted by that round eight loss to the Raiders, where they didn't compete like they normally would, or there was just, I don't know, it just wasn't clicking for them. But I think it's fair play to say that they've been just as impacted by injuries because of the fact that everything flows through doesn't it? Like the, when you're getting New South Wales Cup players called up to NRL, 
that then means that there's going to be Jersey flag players called up to yep. the New South Wales Cup. And that, that's certainly been the case, as well as the injuries. Plus, that you, do, you deal with so, your injuries and suspensions. So you're the team that gets impacted the most. We've already, you know, we, we every week it feels like we're talking about how many flag players or flag eligible players are in the Cup team who has been going so well with those young kids. And the, the flip side is that the flag team loses all its core players and has to uh, battle and struggle through the season. And they finally get healthy. And they put on a sort of show like this, where, yeah, it makes you it makes you wonder: is this a turning point in the season? Obviously, there's a lot of water going to that bridge, but this is a signpost victory. This is a, a one that you circle and look back at and say, "That's what we can do." Now let's you know use that as our basis for spring uh, springing into the second half of the season. Yeah, the other interesting thing too is that next weekend, both the flag and the New South Wales Cup team. Uh, have matches drawn. Both matches at this stage are drawn for Kellyville Park, and at this stage, both matches are on different days. So Just the, 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 the flag are drawn to play at one thirty on Saturday afternoon next week, and I think from memory, the New South Wales Cup are drawn to play Friday night. Let me tell you. After playing Sunday. Let me tell you, so. let me tell you, let me tell you. So... 7 p.m. against Mounties at Kellyville Park on Friday for the Cup. Yep. And then for the flag, uh, Saturday, 1.30 p.m. versus the Thunderbolts at Kellyville Park. So how and why they can't be on the same day on a Saturday, I don't understand. It's not no, like, it's I, like, it's like Mounties I, is I a don't, I don't understand either. I mean, um, I would have been just as happy for them to be both on Friday night up yeah, at Kellyville Park. 5.30 you know, to 7 p.m., whatever it is, or 7.30 p.m. But Yeah, yeah. If they'd have gone 5.30 and 7.30... I'm sure that 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 would have been fine if they had have decided to go with a a, a Saturday. Uh, that would have been fine as well. Don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not beyond thinking there might be last minute change because the last time they played Mounties in the New South Wales Cup at the last minute, and I mean the last minute, <laughs> uh, like an hour or two before the match was scheduled to start, the match was switched from Albury Keach Reserve to Kellyville Park because the Albury Keach Reserve was underwater on that particular day. So they, they just up and, and moved it same day to the up to Kellyville Park. Now, whether, and it's unlikely that given that the flag are playing the Thunderbolts, that there would be any change for them because... No, because they're the lesser fixture, yeah. And they're travelling up, they're travelling up, exactly. up from Melbourne. So, exactly. um, you know, it's, it'd be a bit hard to, to have that, those sort of travel arrangements changed. But uh, I don't know, maybe we get a last-minute New South Wales Cup. It might be unlikely, but I'm not completely ruling it out. But for those who are going to miss their football next weekend, you do have the option of Friday night, the New South Wales Cup, Saturday afternoon, the Jersey flag, to get up to Kellyville. If you're up there, um, let me first explain that it's probably good to take a chair, a uh, fold-out <laughs> chair. Um, take take along if you like a bit of something to eat or drink while you're there. Take that there. It's not. It hasn't been made as a match venue as yet. That's the downside no. of Kellyville Park. The it's grandstands going be, it's supposed going to be awesome to be once it's all done. This year. It's going to be a jewel for the Eels in terms of hosting all sorts of uh, sub NRL fixtures uh, and even NRL trials potentially. Potentially, so going to be very cool. And that's made into a proper game precinct, but it's still a ways to go there. Yeah, it's still a ways to go. It's it's an option for them at the moment, but it's as I said, it's it's not your traditional match venue at this at this stage. There's parking, there's 
Um, they they do have some toilet facilities. The the players have got some sheds that they can use as the dressing sheds, but it's not it's not a, a venue with a stand or anything like that at this stage. So yeah, you you've you got decent viewing from the hill, but if you're if you're looking for a bit of comfort while you're sitting there, you best to take along a uh, fold-out chair or something like that. Now, which which gets us to just before the- I was going to say, amusingly, in the context of that flag win, according to the New South Wales Rugby League Match Centre, that game is still running in a 66 minutes. So they haven't actually recorded the win on their ladder. Uh, the Eels do lift their fourth win of the season, uh, which puts them in uh, a log jam from seventh to eleventh. Uh, uh, with one, two, three, four, five teams on four on four wins, and then you've got the Sharks on five, West Tigers, Panthers, and Dragons on six, then Knights eight, Roosters nine wins. So they're all of a sudden they're you know they're not in the top eight. No, they're not yes. in the top eight on four against, but they're there are definitely. Wait, maybe they are. No, they actually they actually now in the top eight. They won by forty points, so their four and against improves to negative twenty, which makes them the best of the four win teams. So they catapulted themselves from eleventh to seventh in one game. If the table is. well, you, you talk about that now. Once you go and you have a look at the um, the players, uh, the team stats, and the try scoring on the New South Wales Rugby League website, the Parramatta and Raiders game is listed as twenty eight all. Yes, and on so the, moving on the moving, moving main on page, the, <laughs> yeah. it's thirty it's thirty twenty eight on their main yeah, page. But the but match centre says twenty eight all. Yeah, so the key yeah, difference missing here them. is a late Jordan Rankin penalty goal, uh, which was what propelled the Eels to victory in this contest. This was a seesawing one sixties. You mentioned it twenty eight all. No, thirty to twenty eight for the Parramatta Eels made life a little bit tough on themselves in this one. Probably should have won by a couple of tries. But uh, some blemishes late in the piece from some, some big players also uh, hurting the cause. For the Raiders, Semi Valame, Mitchell Spencer, Semi Valame, Sam Williams, and uh, Utuloa Asamoa scored. Sam Williams, four from five. For the Eels, Zach Sini, Mike Sivo, Luke Bain, Kai Rodwell, and Mitch Rain, the scorers, as both teams went five tries apiece. Rankin, four from five on his conversions, but adding that crucial late penalty goal for was it, was it the kicker being taken out or was it the catcher being taken out for that penalty goal? No, no, it was kicker being taken yeah, out. Kicker so being taken out, yeah. you, you had Jack A. Williams. Um, the, the Raiders had the ascendancy. It was twenty-eight all, but they'd restricted Parramatta in the five tackles to within their their twenty-meter zone, and the ball went back to Jack A. Williams for the kick downfield. So he was only about ten, fifteen meters out from his own line, putting the ball downfield. Heaves it to the forty-meter mark for the for the. Uh, Raiders, I think thereabouts. Sorry, what was that? The the kick he's he's its way to what ten meters inside Raiders territory. Yeah, it got down to about thirty five meters out yeah. from the Raiders line, and uh, what basically happened was the the challenger on the kick, was as he's come through, he's turned his his back into Williams as Williams is in mid air, and it's flipped Williams over. Yeah, so and no, he's no come control of the tackle. You have to make a rapping motion. Inside the legal contact areas, obviously didn't do it, which means it's a spot of the ball foul. So where that where that kick touches down is where that foul uh, is awarded, which gave the Eels a chance to shoot for the penalty goal. Jordan Rankin obliged. What followed was a frenetic period where the Eels looked like they had it won and then gave away a late penalty. Uh, the touch finder was a deep one, and Mike Acevedo had the presence of mind to jump out and tip it back in. All they had to do was actually touch it. Once he's touched it and it goes out, 
it's a, the ball is considered live and there is no uh, follow-up play, but he had the wherewithal to at least tip it back in and secure the win for the Eels. Yeah, this was, a, like I said, a seesawing game. Eels probably didn't make it as easy on themselves as they could have. Jake Arthur was very good for the vast majority of this game, but he also gave away a try assist to the opposition. That Sam Williams try uh, was an ill-advised uh, promotion of the ball by young Arthur. Otherwise, he was excellent. Uh, but yeah, we spoke about this in the preview, mate. This Canberra team was armed to the teeth with some good players. Valame, Frawley, Williams, Gula, Harawira and I. How is Harawira and I here playing reserve grade? I've got no idea. Trey, any. Trey Mooney, obviously, we know him as a parent, former Parramatta's prospect. They Lots of great players, and it showed in their ability to stick with the Eels. But yeah, they got the job done. And that, I mean, that, that's the sort of win where, yeah, it wasn't pretty. Uh, it could have been a lot easier if I hadn't made a few mistakes. But Canberra, obviously, a good lineup, and you take those victories. Yeah, look, I thought um, I thought Jordan Rankin was uh, probably uh, up there for player of the match, not far behind Jake Arthur with his all of his try assists that he came up with there. Um, solid performance from Sevo, um, and uh, I thought that uh, in the in the forwards that. <sighs> I mean, I've watched Bryce Cartwright in games like this, and I think he does things that no other player in that grade is we, going to we do. Got, there was one player who went, went from Cartwright to Cartwrong so quickly. He made the big line break and then just made a meal of the, the pass at the end. Uh, he, he is – what a mercurial talent he is, isn't he? But just – I don't know. Just the, the – it's so frustrating watching him because you just know he could dominate the NRL consistently. But just – yeah. Just, and and look, I think to be fair to him, those those little moments are few and far between these days. But he just hasn't eliminated. But he he just looks head and shoulders yeah, above. He, he's a, a completely everyone. a class above this grade. But yeah, like you said, the, the, he's definitely fixed up some of those consistency issues. But there's still enough of a problem there that when you're in the NRL and that margin of error is razor thin, it, it hurts you. And you know, I, I haven't given up on Bryce Cartwright. I think that he he could still be. An important factor when opportunity provide comes knocking, but yeah, just you, you want to see him polish those little aspects, and then he'll be back in NRL contention for sure. The interesting one, of course, was Brendan Hands, who played in the middle, Start, started at prop forward as per the team sheet. As per the team sheet, the old, no, the old Danny Nutley prop forward, although probably taller than Danny, so yeah, not not quite as big. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's obviously really. Uh, going on in in a lock role, yeah, but he's speaking, pushing in the prop exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you've got um, yeah uh, the the prop went starting name starting prop uh, uh, Tavita Talmapinu. He was he was moved back to the bench with Brendan Hands elevated, and they just did a straight swap on the team sheet. But it was if you were to, to see the listing, you would have seen Rodwell as the prop, and then uh, Brendan Hands as the uh, ball playing lock. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, I, the, the I numbers thought, aren't I out thought, in this game yet, which would have been good good reading. But uh, we might have a quick dive back in on the re- the preview podcast when we get them because it'd be interesting to see who in the forwards got the big meters. Because I thought a couple of guys had really solid games, but without the, the grounding of the stats to back up my opinion, it's kind of hard to go out there and say they were that good. Well, look, a player to maybe keep an eye on is Luke Bain, who was elevated from the uh, Jersey flag last year, so he he came into uh, the Parramatta system, I think, via um, South and then Penrith. So I think he spent time with both of them at, at, at the 
age level and then came in to flag with Parramatta last year and was adjudged as someone to keep around in the system. And he's now coming off the off the bench with a, a few players that aren't available. And I thought he's I, I thought he performed quite solidly in the games I saw last year and what wasn't a, a well performing uh Jersey Fleet team. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, just interested to see how he continues to develop there because he's a very aggressive uh, runner and defender, so um, yeah, keep an eye on him. But as you say, we'll we'll wait till we uh, can get some uh, player stats uh, from the game because it's uh, uh, there's not anything that's available as yet. But it'd be interesting to see how those numbers show up for the, uh, especially for the pack. And uh, unlike the flag, the match centre for this one, even if the score is wrong. Uh, is banked as a win for the Eels. It's not down as a draw on the actual ladder, which puts the Eels into a share of fourth place with the Bulldogs, but they do drop the fifth on for and against, uh, just about 30 points shy of Canterbury's for and against, 106 to 77, which is a good place to be as they continue to make a push for the top of the table because the Panthers are up at the top at nine wins, which obviously is two ahead of the Eels, but the Jets and the Bears are just one win ahead. So there's some opportunities to make some inroads deep into the top four in the coming weeks. Yeah, and and probably not dissimilar to where they were placed last year, and where they made their big, big run. Yeah, they yeah. really came into their own during the midpoint of that season before the season obviously closed off early. Uh, but they were just really peaking at the right time last year. They timed their run from about here, and I don't think they dropped the game. And ahead of a, what would have been an absolutely salivating clash against the Penrith Panthers uh, before the competition was called off. So. I don't know who's in charge of the New South Wales Cup at the moment, mate, but they're still doing a good job. That was a tough win against Canberra, but on the road you take those victories. And, yeah, they're, they're well positioned. They're going to have more and more troops coming back uh, by virtue of first grade being healthy. They can now take their pick of the flag kids who are you know going to be promoted purely on form, which is always a good thing. But having said that, pretty much every flag kid that stood up in this grade has played well. Whether opportunity or form has you know come a knocking for them, they've, they've answered the call. So... Been very good yeah. to see that, and, yeah. and and just and just on that, it's um, with the with the buy coming up and the fact that the uh, Parramatta are close to having most hands on deck when it comes to training. A lot of the a lot of the team that was running around for the Eels yesterday is in the, are in the full time squad, so um, there when it comes to um, the coaching scenario, or well, let's have a look. Jordan Rankin, full-time. Sivo, full-time. Sini, full-time. Perrin, full-time. Russell, full-time. Uh, Arthur, full-time. Wiramu Greg, full-time. Mitch Rain, Brendan Hands, Elza Kim, uh, Bryce Cartwright, Kai Rodwell. Um, yeah, so they've got, they've got pretty much um, all but, I think, one of the... Uh, starting thirteen, they're in the full time squad, so they're just getting the uh, they're getting the training as as part of the all the coaches that are there. When it comes to match day duties, I'm not too sure. Um, so we'll see whether uh, Ryan Carr is uh, after the bye. Yeah, because be the NRL break team. means that he can probably assume the mantles for next week without too yeah. much uh, discomfort. But yes, after that, it's going to be interesting to see how they balance the duties for him or if I just promote someone else uh, in his absence. 
but yeah, whoever is in charge of that team is going to inherit a, a pretty hungry roster that are, you know, rounding the corner really nicely into the second half of the season. It's going to make for some fun spectating. Uh, before we do sign off for this week, mate, we mentioned earlier in the podcast a trio of eels pick for the Blues. We gave our rep shout-outs to a, a swathe of eels uh, across both male and female spaces uh, in the last podcast, but now the NRL uh, New South Wales Origin team has been announced, and we, we knew Junior uh, Bolo was going to get picked, you know, incumbent prop, outstanding rep-level player. He has been named in the squad, but the other two that were in the mix and deservedly so, but there was a little bit of a late question mark about whether they get picked were Reagan Campbell-Gillard and Ryan Madison. Both players made the squad of 22, which was announced last night, but today the Blues have actually announced their game one squad and as expected, Junior will start and wearing number 16 and 17, Reagan Campbell-Gillard and Ryan Madison. So well done to those boys, truly well-deserved. I mean, Reg has been an absolute bastion for the Eels ever since he came across from Penrith. A rare case of a win-win for both clubs there where Reg wasn't doing well at his uh, junior club. They went and uh, got Fisher-Harris finding another gear in his absence. Reg came to the Eels and has just been incredible. Ryan Madison, career best form, has been arguably the best forward in the competition this year. Uh, I think that he's probably been slept on a little bit when it comes to some of those plaudits because Isaiah Yo and a couple of other players are, are very good too. But Maddo, incredible. And him making his maiden origin cap is truly, truly a deserved reward for what he's done this year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so great result for those players. And we'll, we'll probably talk a little bit more about that in our midweek podcast this week. As always, thanks for stopping by and giving us a listen. We apologise for it being the morning after reaction as opposed to the instant reaction. So thank you for your patience there. Hope you enjoyed all three grades getting a win on the road in the nation's capital and our breakdown of them. We'll catch you. We are going to, there will be a bit of news about the podcast format for us in the coming weeks as we shift to a new format in not a negative way. We're we're, we're expanding, not uh, decommissioning stuff. But uh, as it stands right now, we'll catch you in the preview podcast. We've got some things happening to expand our content in the coming weeks and months. And as usual, go you eels.